0: Welcome to the Vintage Grace Sunday podcast. We hope our series on the book of Revelation will challenge and encourage you to grow closer to God and recognize that He wins. Let this message be a reminder to you of His love for you and the plan that He has for your life. As we dive into the letter today, what we're going to see is John gets this vision, but even John is like, I mean, this is what I see, but I can't even describe it. It's like this, it's as this. In fact, I love A.W. Tozer, he's one of my favorite authors, and he says it this way, words are not strong enough is what he says in the knowledge of the holy. Words are insufficient. God is bigger than even the language that he gives John in the vision that he sees. But I want us to just take a moment today and imagine Dream. And on some level, Jesus tells John, you don't have to dream. Here's the picture. You just can't put words to it. It's that unimaginable. This is what we get to do today. We get to open the word and read it. And so Jesus has a vision for us. Now, remember, why does he have this vision? So that the people would remain faithful. So that in the midst of darkness creeping in, in our head, and in our hearts, and in our community, that the people of God, specifically in Rome here, would remain faithful. That's the big idea. It's easier to be faithful when you know you win. When things look bad, what do you have a tendency to do? And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just a me thing. But when things are going bad, what do you have a tendency to do? I have a tendency to switch teams. I have a tendency to want to root for the team that's gonna win, why? Because when my team wins, you know what I feel? Happiness, joy, contentment, excitement. And so right now, remember the early church, they're experiencing suffering. Jesus shows up to remind them that in spite of their present circumstances, where does he sit right now? On the throne. He wins. He wins. He's already won, and he's going to win in the future. Now, remember the context for them. You've got Emperor Domitian. He's already killed 40,000 Christians. That's the context. As we open up the book today, it looks like the darkness is creeping in. And what we're going to see later in the book, in chapter 12 and 13, John's going to tell us specifically, it's not just the fact that there's evil in the world. Most of it comes from us comes from us but don't miss this chapter 12 and 13 he's going to tell us there's evil forces also working behind the curtain being able to see the things that we can't see allows us to say man there's a lot of rubbish in this world that's self-inflicted by humanity but there's also a lot of evil spirituality taking place right now now do we have to be afraid of the evil powers of this world no because greater is he that has come than he that is even the prince of the world And that's the confidence that we get when we open this book of Revelation. It's why Jesus through John says, this is the only book I promise you blessing. So church, do you want to be blessed today? Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter four, that's where we're going. And it doesn't mean that there isn't evil, but it does mean we know the final score. And please don't miss this. The last few years, more than ever, have I tipped my hat to Satan. More than ever in this engagement of war, of battle, on the court, on the field for our hearts, more than ever have I said, hey, Satan, that was a good shot. Here's what stinks. We win. So don't miss this. Whether it's COVID or tension or politics or racial realities, like we have a battle going on and it is not of this world. It's of the next and it's already been won. And so don't miss chapter four and five comes after chapters two and three. All the tension in the Roman Empire, all the tension for these Christians, it comes before chapters 12 and 13. When we start to see the prince of this earth that's trying to wreak havoc, and John wants us to be centered right now. In between both truths is the greatest truth that Jesus wins, and that's what we'll see today in chapter four. And it's not just a message for them, it's a message for today. It's a message for today because did you recognize that just in the last century, we as a humanity have had World Wars I and Two, mass genocides. Like, is the world evil? Amen? Remember, guys, I assume there's no more guests here. Easter's come and pass. But amen means I agree, pastor. It also means I'm not asleep, and you're at first service. Amen? amen. And so again, there's evil in the world. It's depressing to watch the news. Amen. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, he gave his son for us, and the tomb could not hold him, which means, therefore, the grave is not our enemy, but a gateway to glory. It's, I love this book. We know the final score. Jesus is reigning. He wins. He's already won. And he wants us to see what we don't yet see. Because what we see of this world is ugly and it's rubbish. But God loves the world. He's not done with her yet. Here's my summary. John has been helping us see that someone's at your front door. John has been helping us see the things that are not yet as they seem. And his revelation, his apocalypsis it shows us all that's happening around the throne. It's a picture of the victory that's present. In 1896 then and in 2022 today, the victorious throne room is full of these explosions of grace. I hope you came ready to sing today. But they are not given to the lion as one might expect. Instead, they're given to the slain lamb of God who John sees standing victorious as he has risen it's his resurrection that not only purchased us, but makes us these priests of proclamation that he alone is worthy of all praise. So I'm gonna read the text and I want you to imagine what I'm reading in Revelation 4. Now, I don't know how good you are at imagining, but I asked a bunch of kids to help us out too. I'm gonna to show you their pictures in a moment. Ages four, six, eight, 10, and 12. I hope you can imagine well. If not, they'll help us. Here's the text, chapter four, verse one. After this, I, John, looked and behold, there was this door standing open in heaven The first voice which I had heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. It said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the spirit and behold there was a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had this appearance of Jasper carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald and around the throne were 24 thrones seated on the thrones Then were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads from the throne then came these flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the thrones were burning these seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there it was as if there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The the first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him with lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power for you create all things and by your will they exist and were are created. Everybody said amen. amen. Can you see it? Can you see it? The glory, the honor, not just that's going to come, but that is present right now. In spite of the darkness, don't miss where Jesus sits. He is not freaking out. He is being worshiped and worthy of praise. And I'm pretty sure this is what it looks like right? Is this not what you see? I mean, mean, you have this picture of glory and honor. I don't know about you, but my imagination stinks. But I look at this stuff and I'm like, are you kidding me? Glory and honor and praise. This is it. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come before you, we open our hands and our hearts and our heads as best as we can, as limited as we are. We want to see you. We want to see the things yet not seen. We want to experience you and we want to hear from you. May we listen today. May we imagine, may we recognize as Peterson said that there's nothing new we just read in the text, but you gave it in a new way to John that comes with this staying power, This imagination that doesn't just elicit a worship of our eyes, but of our heart. Would you engage that for your glory, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, we have two chapters we're going to cover. I've only read one. I'm going to talk fast. I don't care how fast I talk. Listen to the sermon again. Even better, read the book and go to life group, okay? There's so much here. There is so much here. Now, I want to focus on something. I remember going to seminary and sitting in one of my early classes, and the professor said, Okay, guys, big ideas are more important than little ideas. And I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> How many of you guys love little ideas? I love little ideas. We could preach on this text for the next 40 hours, not 40 minutes. And I'm game if you are, right? But let's focus on the big ideas. What is John doing when he records this? What does Jesus want John to receive? And what does Jesus want his churches that are being persecuted in Rome and even Vintage Greece and Elderly Hills today? What does he want for us? I think here's the big idea is God is sovereign and we're invited to the party. We're invited to worship him. God is good. God is in control. He's not left his throne room. He is there right now being praised. There's a cosmic victory party that's being hosted by the Lion and the Lamb. Anyone want to go? that's actually what we call heaven. It's this picture of Jesus after his death and resurrection. Remember, we just had Easter. No, I didn't time it this way, but it sure is nice. This is a picture of post-Easter as he goes to his ascension that we now are getting ready for heaven. Every single one of us, if we trust and treasure Jesus, this is the party that you want to be at. These explosions of praise. That's the big idea, I think, of chapters four and five. Now, also beyond that, I don't know if you guys saw my video, but I encourage you to pre-read. Why did I want you to pre-read? Because there's a ton to read. I want the imagination to start. And so part of why we gave you this bookmark is that next week you can pre-read. I wouldn't read too far. It's going to mess you up. I would just read a little bit at a time. Talk to your life group. Let's come back together. You can watch the Bible Project video. It's great. We linked it on our email and on our website. But I want us to get into the text and the letter. But you're going to see a pattern if you pre-read chapters 4 and 5. You'll see a pattern for the two chapters we're covering today. Here's what it is. There is an item and then a figure. So the item is the throne in chapter 4. And then we're going to see the king in chapter 5. It's the scroll. And then we're going to see the lamb. But the big idea is this. God is on his throne. And he's there. And we're there because the lamb makes a way when there was no other way. We don't have access to the throne room apart from the lamb of God. And so that's what we're going to see in chapters four and five—that he's on his throne, and that he alone is worthy of worship. And so that's the pattern we're going to climax in song in chapter four eleven and five thirteen. Let's start walking through, starting in verse one. After this, I looked and behold. Now that's a phrase we're going to see four more times. In fact, the way that I broke up the parts here is actually those phrases: I looked and I saw. I looked and I saw, and behold, this is what I saw. That's what we see in chapter 7, 15, 18, and 19. That's where we'll be going as a church soon. Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Have we seen a door before? Philadelphia, right? God is opening doors all around us. Heaven is here. It's around us because the spirit of God is within us. That's what heaven is. It's the presence of God. And so the spirit of God is here. He's engaging with the world in such a way that he does not hate the world. The world hates him. He loves the world. There are doors open in Philadelphia. There's doors open at Vintage Grace. And in this vision, there's a door open to heaven to see what is presently true. But John and you and I would miss naturally. That's what we're seeing specifically. It's the same phrase in chapter 3, 8. It's also a lot of reading. Isaiah chapter 6. Go back this week. Read Daniel chapter 7. Just read the whole Old Testament, okay? Because that's what Revelation is picking up on. And so that's the text today. Behold, I looked and I heard and I saw this door open in heaven. And the first voice, which we actually heard in chapter 1, verse 10 and 15, the first voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet The voice of God is calling out to him, and he says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. I like that phrase, must. Again, we just talked about it last week at Easter as well. Again, we're literally, we see that Jesus must. That's what the angel said to the woman at the tomb, right? This is what must take place. He says it in Revelation, prologue and epilogue. This is going to be the driving force between now and chapter 16. This must happen. The images that we're gonna see as we step out of the epistle part of the letter and more into the apocalypsis, more into the prophetic part of the letter, these are the things that must take place. Because God cares about his glory, because God cares about you, these are the things that are going to happen. This is a phrase that John has used, and now Jesus says to John, come up here. Now, I love this. God is holy, we are not. What happens to Moses when he gets a chance to see God? He hides in a rock. He takes off, why? Because there is no ability for us as unholy ones to be in the presence of a holy God for the Lamb of God makes a way. And so Jesus comes to John, and he says, hey bro, let's go. I think that's in the Greek, bro. Because <laughs> remember, Jesus has made a way when there wasn't a way. He's made us back into be the family of God. And so he says, bro, let's go. Come up here, I will take you. I'll make a way. For humanity existence, we've been trying to make a way to God. Guess what? We stink. We can't do it. It started in the Tower of Babel. It's continued on everyday sense. Every empire has tried to claim themselves as their allegiance, as they are their own God. And every time we fail, and now Jesus comes to us, Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas, for us at Easter. He comes to John and he says, bro, let's go, I made a way. I made a way let me give you a glimpse into what's presently true right now here's what he says in verse two at once i was in the spirit john is following i think a, a pattern that we even see from paul there were times that paul had these moments and paul's like i don't know if i was in my body or in my spirit i don't know john makes it clear i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood heaven he sees the figure he sees the item first and then he sees the figure. Behold, there was a throne in heaven and there was one seated. So, item and then figure to follow, one seated on the throne. That is the central image for the rest of the book the throne, the kingdom. The victory that Christ and Christ alone has. Fourteen times we're going to see the word throne used over and over and over again. Start your imagination. Imagine the throne. He gives us a picture on the throne, though he says this. Then there was the one who sat there. Now, we don't know the figure right now. In verse 8 and 9, he says it's God, Lord God Almighty. But right now, he just says there's this figure there. There's a throne and a figure. And as the figure sat there, he sat there with the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian is what the text tells us. Jasper's this reddish-brown. It's this favorite color of antiquity. Carnelian is this ruby, fiery red. The text goes on. And around the throne was this rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, again, big idea. What does John and what does Jesus want for us? I don't think we're supposed to hyperanalyze every color here. We're supposed to say, I've never seen a place like this. We're supposed to say this is glorious, this is impressive, this is valuable, this is worthy of praise. How many times do we praise things that are not worthy of praise? Like our whole lives. That's what worship is. Worship is ascribing value. And so I think here's the heart of Jesus. Hey, bro, I want you to meet my father. And my father is the only one worthy of praise. You can't handle the truth. But let me give you a picture jasper carnelian emerald it's gonna blow your mind because he's worthy he's impressive he's glorious he's valuable the text goes on it says this now around the throne were these 24 thrones now there's all sorts of numerology throughout the book of revelation this is one of the more difficult ones what does the 24 mean i'm not completely sure but here's my best bet my best bet is simply this, that these 24 thrones are representative of humanity. One commentator said it was impressive that Domitian had 24 bodyguards. That the emperor who's claiming allegiance, he had 24 bodyguards. And up here in heaven, Jesus is like, I got more than that. But here's 24. It could be 12 tribes of the Old Testament, 12 disciples of the New Testament. I think what we're seeing here is people that God has said, you're going to rule with me. You're going to reign with me. Has God ever done that before? Yeah, Adam and Eve. They didn't do a very good job with that. God calls these 24. I I, I like the idea that there's Old Testament representation, New Testament representing humans that are called to rule with him. And he says there's 24 thrones with 24 elders. I don't think these are angels. I think these are people that God has chosen. And they are clothed in white garments symbolizing purity. Are these men pure apart from Christ? No. He makes a way when there was no other way. And their golden crowns on their head... And I don't miss this, this idea of golden crowns. We've seen many times before the crown has been promised as a sign of victory. I want to highlight just a little bit. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's going to throw some stuff at you to the prison that you'd be tested. And for 10 days, complete tribulation, be faithful unto death. And I will give you what? The crown. He says it again in chapter 3, verse 11. He says it again in chapter, nope, I missed it. He says again, chapter three, verse 21, three of the seven churches, he says, guys, the crown's coming. I think this is the fruit of that statement. See, guys, I told you there was a crown right now. There's actually people with crowns right now in heaven because they were faithful. Now from the throne and all of these crowns, there comes this flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, again, we see this in the future of Revelation. We see this back in the Old Testament as well, but we're gonna see it. We're stepping into, next week, three cycles of seven, the cycles of seals, of trumpets, and of bowls. And as we look forward, here's what we're gonna see, chapter eight. At the end of the cycle of seals, guess what there's gonna be? Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning. At the end of the trumpets, there's gonna be flashes of lightnings, rumbles, peals of thunder. At the end of the bowls, there's gonna be flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. You, You see a theme here? This is a theophany of God on glory display. I don't know about you guys. Anyone else hear the the thunder and lightning this week? Does it not cause you to worship? It caused you to to scream, but that's partly worship. It's, It's recognizing that I am not God and I am not in control, but he is. At the end of every seal and trumpet and bowl, we're going to see this idea that there is judgment that's coming. So from the throne comes flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And now before the throne, there was this burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We see this all the way back in Exodus We also see this in the tabernacle in Exodus 25 and 40. It's this vision of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Think of Acts 2, think of Zechariah 4, these parallels. Think of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. These are the parallels that John is calling upon. This is the vision that Jesus has given his church. He says, guys, I alone am glorious and worthy of praise. Verse six, and before the throne, there was this sea of glass, like what, like like crystal. Now the sea, how many of you guys love the sea? Like, I love to sea seafood particularly. I like to look at the sea and I like to eat of the sea. Being on the sea, I could give or take, right? That whole like seasickness thing. I love the sea. The sea for Jews and for old history was actually something that was feared because you're afraid of things that you don't know what's underneath you. That's logic, people. Like, why would I go down there? Okay, and so the sea in their cultural context was something that they were afraid of. It was a sign of chaos, disorder. It was a source of evil. Think about Jonah. What would happen when you were caught in sin? They'd go throw you in the sea. Have fun with that, right? That was the reality for the context that Jesus is speaking to. The sea was something to be feared because it was not understood. It's a negative sign in the Old Testament. In fact, pay attention as we look forward in the book of Revelation, you will not see a sea in heaven, chapter 21, verse one. Why? Because it's a symbol of evil, destruction, of chaos, and so don't miss this. In heaven, what do we see? We see a sea of what? Glass. And every wakeboarder said, amen. <laughs> right? Like, like, that's what you want. There's this sea of glass like crystal. Go back to Psalm 89. Here's what the psalmist says. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you are what? Still. It's why the anchor was so central to the early church. It's not that we were trying to avoid storms. Storms are a part of a fallen, broken world, but God reigns, but God wins. And so in heaven, there's this picture that John gets to see, S-E-E, he gets to see this crystal sea of glass. And that's the throne room. Text goes on and around the throne, on each side of the throne, there's these four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. You got that picture? I don't. Imagine it. There's these creatures full, now pay attention, living creatures. See, we went from these static images and now we're seeing this this truth activity that's surrounding the throne right now. This active living creature is full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. I think there's power connotations. The second living creature is like an ox, the provision of the land. Beyond that, there's this third living creature with the face of a man, and a fourth living creature with the air like an eagle in flight. Now, pay attention. Big ideas are more important. Little ideas. We started there. God is God, and He is worthy of all. But what has humanity done? Forever, we've worshipped creations and not the Creator. And so in heaven, who's worshiping the creator? Creation. He has dominion. He has power. He is the only one that is worthy of praise. And what do these creatures do? Let's keep reading. Here's verse eight. And these four living creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around them and within day and night. I think that's because they see everything. They don't get distracted by the things of this world because they're in heaven They see the glory of God. They see how powerful and worthy of praise he is. And day and night, they never cease. I just don't know what that's like. They never cease to praise God and say this, holy, 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 three times, this perfect number. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was past, is present, and is to come. It's the same phrase from chapter one, verse eight. It's this title of power and me, and Lord God Almighty is a phrase that we can't miss here. We see it throughout Revelation used multiple times. We see it throughout the Old Testament used multiple times that he is glorious and worthy of praise, that he is in control, that he is eternal, that he is self-existent, that he controls all of history, that it's actually his story, And his story is previewing the power of the final coming and the eternal fulfillment that's true right now. That he's not concerned. He's saddened by the brokenness of this world, but he's not concerned. He's too busy being praised by his people. He's too busy being praised by his creation that he has not neglected, that he has not given up on. The text goes on then in verse nine. I want you to pay attention. How often did they sing this song? Do you remember? All the time. Now, after that, pay attention here. And whenever the living creatures give glory, how often do they give glory? Nonstop. And honor and thanks to him. As the creatures do that, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. Not about you, but would anyone else get sweaty in heaven? If every time they're singing songs, the elders go from their thrones to casting their crowns, from the like, you wonder why I sweat when I preach, right? Like Like, that's it. Heaven is cardio, baby. Like like, pay attention. They proclaim, "We cast our crowns over and over and over again. And guess what? It's a ton of fun. I used to think running was stupid. Don't tell anybody, I enjoy it. It's a piece of worship. It's this this reality that he alone is worthy of praise. And I've had moments in my life when I praise things that are not worthy of praise, like Steph Curry's jump shot or Barry Bonds' splash hit. Like those are moments for me that I'll never forget as a sports fan. When you see something that's worthy of praise and you give the praise, you're not like, eh, that was fun. No, you're excited. And so there's this joy that's going to be in heaven. And I think we might be sweaty, but then again, we're going to have perfect bodies. And I think that's why I sweat, because my body ain't perfect. Amen. They cast their crowns down. They ascribe value. They send it. That's the word worship to ship value. They send it to the only one that is worthy. The text goes on Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you create all things, and by your will they exist. They were created. There's all of these references to Daniel 4, to Daniel 6. Go back and read these because this is what Jesus, as he speaks to John and as John speaks to the church, this is what they're thinking about that he alone is worthy. And yet, the reality is, especially in Daniel, there were lots of guys that thought that they were worthy, right? Nebuchadnezzar. I'm king give me glory. Domitian in in AD 96, I'm worthy, give me glory. In fact, it said that the emperors of the day, they would love to be called Lord and God, but the Senate of Rome said, that's not a title reserved for you. Even the most pagan people knew that there was someone beyond themselves. So when we say this phrase, worthy are you, our Lord and God, what we're saying is you alone get the throne of my heart. Nobody else compares. Nobody else is worthy. There's a humility that comes to worship, to giving value to someone and something that's valuable. And here's the reality. Lots of things are valuable because God made them with value. He alone is the creator. He alone is the designer. He alone deserves the throne of your heart. So the question for us today is who are we worshiping? Everything else is is short-sighted. It does not measure up. And I think humility is the key of that reality. And then we pivot. There's really two hymns. In chapter four and in chapter five, this was hymn number one, Celebrate the Glory of God and His Holiness. I'd encourage you to spend time this week meditating on that reality. Then we get to hymn number two because John sees this vision and he says, God, you are good. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And I worship you and I praise you. And then there's that moment as you're worshiping God that you're like, Oh wait, I'm still John. Oh wait, I'm still Drew. And we at vintage know that Drew rhymes with poo. It's just a real thing. And so there's these moments when we worship God and we say, God, you are good. And then we see our hand get it raised, and we're like, oh, get that out of here. That messes up the picture. And so what does John see in his vision? He sees the glory, the holiness of God. And then he sees the right hand of him who is seated on the throne and there's this scroll written within it on the back, sealed with seven seals. And of course, as a worshiper, you're like, I wanna know what my God has. What is the seal representing of all the prophets in the days of old? What is in the seal? And I saw this mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or earth said, I am Nobody stepped up. Bunch of weenies. No, because in heaven, you don't have to pretend to be more than you are because you're worshiping the one that is more than you are. So no one steps up because they already know the truth. They already know that Drew rhymes with poo. No one had to tell them that. They get it. The text goes on. And he says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. Now, just note for a moment here. They're not freaking out. They're like, no, we're just waiting for Jesus to do what Jesus does because he reigns. But John doesn't understand this fully. He doesn't know the full picture yet. So John starts freaking out. He sees God's holiness. He sees his hand, I think, on some levels. He praises God and he goes, Well, shoot, now what are we going to do? And he begins to weep loudly. Like, this is that awkward snot running down your face. Your spouse is hitting you. Do you know you're being loud? You left the ringer on the front door at church? Come on. And so he's weeping loudly. That doesn't bother me, by the way. Whoever it was, it makes me happy. Here we go. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy of the scroll to look into it. So I'm in heaven, but I feel like I'm missing out, John says. And one of the elders said, hey, bro, remember how Jesus brought you here? He's got a plan. In fact, here's the truth of the matter. Weep no more. Behold. Behold means to see. Now he hears the word to see. This is that rhythm we're gonna see in all these parts of Revelation. He hears, see, and what does he hear? Hear the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. We see this in Genesis 49, Jeremiah 23. Hear the lion of Judah, the root of David. He has conquered, he can open the thing. Now again, he has this vision, he's weeping. You know when you're crying, your eyes are full of snot, it's super awkward, but it happens, right? And you can't see, he hears the elder say, go look at the lion. What does he expect to see? When someone says, look at a lion, what do you expect to see? A lion, powerful, loud, in control. He's weeping. He wipes the snot out of his eyes. He turns, and what does he see? And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a, well, that's a letdown. (laughs) Hey, God, your elder, who you appointed to help you rule, he said there'd be a lion, and he says, no, no, no. I am the lion and the lamb that was the prophecy of old on the lion and the lamb you're expecting to see a lion but instead he sees a lamb standing as though he had been slain anyone else know what an oxymoron is god's love for us his grace his mercy his goodness his passion his love There's nothing you could do in this moment right now to more deserve or lose the love of Christ, but he's given it freely right now. The lion and the lamb, he's expecting to see a lion because that's what the elder said. And he sees this lamb standing as though he'd been slain, like cutthroat and everything. A killed lamb, but alive, standing He's not dead. Why? Because the tomb could not hold him. I see the lamb slain, but standing with seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits of God. This is the fullness of God. And he went out and the lamb took the scroll from the right hand, I believe, of the father who was seated on the throne. And the text goes on. And now they sang a new song. I hope you like to sing or you're not going to like heaven. And now they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, every tribe and language and people and tongue, church. I can't wait for heaven. The, the, The choir in heaven. I mean, you guys are good vintage. Don't misunderstand me. But I can't wait to hear every tongue and every tribe and every nation. I just got greetings from our churches in Africa as Andy and Kathy are there right now. Again, we're late to their party They've already been partying on Sunday. We're the last ones here, right? Every tongue and tribe and nation, the beauty, the glory of God, and you have made them a kingdom, a priest to our God, and they shall reign our three things. He says, you purchased these people. You made them priests. And don't miss that last part. They get to reign with you. They get to reign with you what Adam and Eve could not by the sealing and the slaying of the lamb and the resurrection and the truth and the way and the life, we get to reign. That's what heaven is going to be like. The text goes on and it says, and I looked and I heard around the throne, these living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads, tons and tons, 10 by 10 and on and on. That's what the word myriads means. It's this continual form of worship over and over and over again. It's a full, it's a complete, it's a magnitude. It is standing room only. Nobody's late to church in heaven because it's all the time because he's worthy of praise worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing worthy and as this is happening he hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne the lamb be blessed and honor and glory forever and ever he's repeating himself because that's the most true thing about the world and about the cosmos and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped here's the truth of the Matter. The suffering servant that we just celebrated, Good Friday, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is slaughtered for you and for me. That's the truth. I said this at Good Friday. When we say that we're communitas, it means a common master and a common mission. Understand when you go through something tragic, there's a bond that you hold with other people that no one can touch. I'm, I'm saying whether you're in like the cancer family fraternity, Whether you're living in certain contexts, when you have communitas, common master and common mission, in heaven, there's a communitas like no other. We get a taste at vintage, but this is communitas. We were dead, but God makes us alive. How? Because the slain lamb of God. And we worship. We're freed from being concerned about ourselves. We're free to worship To make much of Jesus because he's the only worthy of being made much of. And so the suffering servant goes to slaughter because of us, for us, and instead of us. And what does that cause in us? It causes us to worship. It causes us to say, God, you alone are worthy. I was dead, but God, you made me alive. And that's what we see in this picture of heaven. And church no matter what I say today no matter what you talk about in your life group even no matter how much time you read and meditate I would just encourage you spend more prepare yourself for heaven. He gives us a picture so that we can be ready for it, but he also gives us a picture so that we don't freak out this side of heaven. He gives us a picture for those two reasons. First of all, he alone is worthy of all worship. Now, if you're like me, you worship a lot of things. Can we just stop and repent right now? What are the things that we worship? This is public pr- repentance. What are the things that we worship? Go ahead. I didn't hear it. You got to be louder. Money. Comfort. Family. Baseball. Come on, man. you getting personal. Football. Okay. Other things. Not just Drew. What, is what do you worship? Self-image. Self-image. Yeah. Guys, we're set free from pursuing the things that will always leave us wanting more. Even the good things. Family. Even the good things, we're set free from that to give him praise and honor. And don't miss this, we don't deserve to be there. Way too often we're like, I got to go to church today. No one deserves to be alive. There's breath in our lungs that's giving us a chance to repent, to get off the throne of our heart and say, God, only you are worthy of worship. And then he calls us to the throne room. He goes to John and says, bro, let's go. Let me show you how good it is in the Father's presence. That's why I came and lived the perfect life. That's why I died the heinous death that you deserve. I made a way when there was no other way. Church, may we repent and may instead we turn back and say, you God alone are worthy of all worship. All of our time, all of our treasure, all of our talent, it's all you and so forgive me, Father, for every moment that I settle for lesser joys. That's what idolatry is, it's what sin is. It's given anything more value than God intended it to have. I'm not saying don't appreciate your family. I'm not saying don't appreciate your money. I'm not saying don't appreciate the breath in your lungs or the health that you have. Just recognize that was given to you to worship, to give it right back to God. Those crowns those elders have, did they earn those? No, that's what grace is. They're just casting back to God what's already His. Everything else is this superficial settling for less. So, church, we're free to worship. And here's what's crazy. We're free to worship a God who is infinitely holy and worthy of worship, and yet he's approachable. He invites us to the throne room. He not only makes a way to the throne room, but if I'm there and I'm John and I see any piece of myself, I'm like running the other way because I'm not worthy. But God is worthy and he makes a way when there's another way. He is worthy of worship. That I think is the biggest implication. Here's the second one though. So then why do we worry if he's worthy? You wanna stop wasting your life? You wanna stop wasting your money? You wanna stop wasting the breath in your lungs? Only invest in the things that are worthy. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. He is worthy of worship. He's approachable in Christ. He calls the early church to endure. He calls the early church to have allegiance. Why? Because he is worthy. And don't forget, the cost of their allegiance in Rome is probably their life. But guess what, that's a great trade the early church says. The early church says, sign me up, because he wins. I wanna be on his team, that's the allegiance. He is the only holy conqueror. The implication is simply this, if God is on the throne, no matter what your job is like, he wins. If God is on the throne, no matter what your health situation is like, there are so many people sick within our congregation, but at Vintage, he wins. Now there's so many people that are sick in our city, Church, may we spend time with them? May we invest in them? Because if they know our Jesus, they too win. Your fractured family, your fractured friends, your future, your addictions, your attitudes. Remember John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would what? Believe. Our, our actions of enduring flow from our belief that he is worthy. So I just wanna invite you right now to just close your eyes. Imagine Revelation 4. Imagine Revelation 5. He is worthy. Thank you for joining us for our Revelation series. As you go this week, be comforted by the knowledge that God is in control and He desires nothing more than for you to find full and complete joy in Him. See you next week.